0: rabbit hole happy hour. I'm Ashley. I'm Mallory. And what's up, guys?
1: We're back with you today. We actually have a mini episode for you
0: today, which our mini episodes never end up being very mini. But yeah. <laughs> basically, I think we're going to Mallory's going to tell a story and then I'm going to tell a story. And then at the very end, we're going to do a fun little thing. I don't know. Kind of
1: like a, a little game. Um, well, should we say what it is, just in case somebody wants to stick around for it? Yeah. Okay. So, it basically I had Brent, my boyfriend, pick out um, old, like, ten plus year old Facebook statuses that Ashley and I posted. <laughs> and I'm scared <laughs> we're gonna read them and try to guess who posted it. I'm honestly expecting us to do pretty well on this. Yeah, I think so. I think we're gonna do pretty well. But anyway. But yeah, so basically we're doing a mini episode this week because I'm wrapping up some things on my story. There's still some stuff that hasn't happened yet, technically. So we're going to be recording that next week um, when everything is
0: kind of wrapping up. Should you tell them what you're doing? I mean, it's probably pretty obvious. Yeah, do you, I can say <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It's up to you. We can cut that.
1: Um, no, it's okay. Um, I am doing the Murdoch family murders. Obsessed. Oh my god, it's crazy, insane, you guys. And there's so much, so much. We both have been watching all of the trial. Yeah, (laughs) like
0: psychopaths. And (laughs) so
1: that's the reason why I'm waiting is because closing arguments will be this week. So in the trial. So I don't know that we'll have a verdict, but I can at least give you the full trial coverage. I guess. Yeah.
0: So we'll get to see each other two weeks in a row. Woohoo! So yeah, anything new with you? Not really. I just hung out with the family this weekend. We're recording on a Sunday again because I was out of town with my family for a bit. The same old, same old, watching the Murdoch trial and... Yeah. That's about it. That's pretty much
1: what my life has been too. Except last night, I went to my coworker's house yesterday just to go... um, Well, she had bought these uh, fiddle leaf fig baby plants and... Uh, We were just kind of using it as an excuse for me to go get the plants and go to her house and hang out, you Mm -hmm. know. So I went over there, and she gave me those, and then she gave me a desert rose plant that she had also ordered. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. I fucking get home. I walk in the door, set the plants down on the dining room table. My cat, within two seconds, has already bit into the desert rose plant. And then I didn't know it until... My, it was Barry. She came in here and she had foam coming out of oh her mouth. Oh my god! And I was like, "What the fuck oh is my going god. on?" Yeah. Barry. And then um, it was funny because after that happened, my coworker was like, "Oh, I don't think the Desert Rose is very pet friendly." And I was like, "Oh yeah, guess what?" <laughs> she went straight for it when I came in the freaking house. So thank Jesus my sister oh my god. works for the ASPCA poison control hotline. And she was able to tell me because my cat didn't actually eat any of it. There were only teeth marks on the leaf. Oh my god. Um, that the foaming of the mouth is just a like bad taste response in animals. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I would think that she was having a seizure. Or I know. I That's what I, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like I was getting ready to go to the emergency vet Oh, and she was like, she should be okay. She should be okay. As long as she didn't eat any of it. And I was like, it doesn't look like anything's gone. There's just punctures. Yeah. So I monitored her last night and then, you know. When I woke that's up this so morning, scary. she was still alive, so. That's so scary. <laughs> I know. Poor little Berry. <laughs> I know. Oh. But it serves her fucking right. Yeah, don't eat beautiful
0: plants. <laughs> don't eat right. gifts. Do you see why I have no plants in here at all? I mean, that's funny because literally last episode you were talking about that. Yeah. It's insane.
1: It, I mean, it's like she knew I was walking in with a plant and she knew I was going to set it down. And she immediately. Yeah. I mean, it was so fast that she did it. Something I notice
0: is, cats are a lot like toddlers. Yeah, like a lot.
1: Yeah, they are. It's
0: crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: about all my life has been mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. At least I didn't have to go to the vet or bury my, bury my cat.
0: <laughs> bury or bury.
1: <laughs> bury my berry.
0: Cool. <laughs>
1: do you want to? Do you want
0: to tell us? What you got?
1: Yeah. So um, mine's pretty short. It's just something I thought was, it's just a weird story um, that I put on my list of stuff to do eventually on the podcast, but there's just, there's literally not enough to do a whole episode on. So um, I'm just going to tell you this funky little story. Okay. So, anyways. So June and Jennifer were the daughters of Caribbean immigrants, Gloria and Aubrey Gibbons. The Gibbons family moved from Barbados to the United Kingdom in the early 1960s. Gloria was a housewife, and Aubrey worked as a technician for the Royal Air Force. Um, The couple also had three other kids Greta was born in 1957, David in 1959, and Rosie in 1967. In 1960, Aubrey went to stay with a relative in Coventry and soon qualified as a staff technician. Gloria followed with Greta and David several months later. Then the twins, June and Jennifer, were born on April 11, 1963, at a military hospital in Aden, Yemen, where their father had been deployed. The family soon relocated, first to England, and in 1974 to Haverford West, Wales. The twin sisters were inseparable, and their language, which was a sped-up I don't know how to say this, Bajan, B-A-J-A-N, Creole, made it difficult for people to understand them. The family's children were the only black children in the community. The twins, June and Jennifer, were often ostracized at school. This was super traumatic for the twins, eventually causing their school administrators to dismiss them early each day so that they wouldn't be bullied. What year was this? 1974, man. Yeah. Their language, though, got stranger and stranger as the days went on, and soon it was unintelligible to other people. Their language, which, by the way, is classified as a type of cryptophagia, which is basically a language between twins that only twins can understand. It's a thing, apparently. I never knew that but it was it was also demonstrated by simultaneous actions where they would mirror each other Ugh. And do like I don't like that that's pain. really creepy <laughs> yeah.
0: oh my god and Mallory's like doing gestures and they're like very creepy <laughs> sorry
1: <laughs> so the twins became increasingly reserved and eventually spoke to no one except each other and their younger sister Rose the girls continued to go to school but they refused to read or write. In 1974, a medic giving vaccinations at the school noted their behavior and then told a child psychologist. So the girls began seeing a succession of therapists who tried unsuccessfully to get them to communicate with others. They were sent to separate boarding schools in an attempt to break their isolation, but the pair became catatonic and entirely withdrawn when parted. What the f- <laughs> it gets weirder.
0: What? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. This is so weird. Is this real? This is real. This is crazy. This is real. I think I found this um, on the subreddit Creepy Wikipedia. <gasps> it's so weird. I know. It's so bizarre. When they were reunited, the two spent several years isolating themselves in their bedroom engaged in elaborate theatrical plays with dolls. They created many plays and stories in sort of a soap opera style, reading some of them aloud on tape as gifts for their sister Rose. Inspired by a pair of diaries that they got as presents for Christmas in 1979 when they were 16, they actually began writing. Like, they began writing novels and stuff. They got a mail-order course in creative writing And each kept an extensive diary and wrote a bunch of stories, poems, and novels. Set primarily in the United States and particularly in Malibu, California for some reason, even though it didn't seem like they had even been there. The stories involve young men and women who exhibit strange and often criminal behavior. June wrote a novel called (laughs) The Pepsi-Cola Addict. (laughs) in which the high school hero is seduced by a teacher and then sent away to a reformatory school where a homosexual guard makes a move on him oh <laughs> Th-
0: now this is unbelievable this should be a movie I know. Oh. this needs to be a movie oh my god
1: this is so crazy i am in-
0: imagining it all unfolding <laughs> in my head
1: yeah. this is so crazy I think they were adults at this point because they ended up pooling together their unemployment benefits in order to get the novel, The Pepsi Cola Addict, published by a subsidy publisher, which is like a publishing house where anyone can pay to have a book published. So they were like self, I mean, like self-publishing. So it's probably on Amazon. Yes, The Pepsi Cola Addict is available (laughs) to the public. In Jennifer's work called The Pugilist, a physician is so eager to save his child's life that he kills the family dog to obtain its heart for a transplant. What the fuck? (laughs) The dog's spirit lives on in the child and ultimately has its revenge against the father. Oh
0: my god! Brilliant. I know. Brilliant. That definitely sounds like a Stephen King. A book or something. <laughs>
1: oh my god! Jennifer also wrote *Disco Mania*, the story of a young woman who discovers that the atmosphere of a local disco incites patrons to insane violence. Oh. <laughs> these stories, like, I, I love. Wanna read these stories. I love these plots. Yeah. <laughs> these. <laughs> I'm going to buy these books. <laughs> oh my god! I think the only one available is *Pepsi Oh Addict. man! Yeah. And then Jennifer followed up with The Taxi Driver's Son, a radio play called Postman and Postwoman and other short stories. In their later teenage years, the twins began using drugs and alcohol. In 1981, the girls committed a number of crimes, including vandalism, petty theft, and arson, which led to their being admitted to Broadmoor Hospital, a high-security mental health hospital. The twins were sentenced to indefinite detention under the Mental Health Act of 1983. They remained at Broadmoor for 11 years. Placed on high doses of antipsychotic medications, they found themselves unable to concentrate. And Jennifer apparently developed tardive dyskinesia, which is a neurological disorder resulting in involuntary repetitive movements. Oh, gross sick <laughs> <laughs> Just imagining no, that like creeps me out but yes it it already is super creepy yeah their medications were apparently adjusted sufficiently to allow them to continue the copious diaries they had begun in 1980 and they were able to join the hospital choir which i guess was a thing but they lost most of their interest in creative writing which is sad yeah because they they were killing it in yep. my opinion, <laughs> that sound,
0: they were so creative.
1: Yeah, um, stay away from drugs. Yep, and crimes. Yeah, don't do crimes. The case achieved notoriety due to newspaper coverage by journalist Marjorie Wallace of the Sunday Times. Wallace later wrote a book about the two called "The Silent Twins." According to Wallace, the girls had a long-standing agreement that if one died the other must begin to speak and live a normal life oh my god yeah how they just i guess they were doing it on purpose <gasps> i mean
0: i oh, don't know wow. yeah <laughs> that's the a only thing lifetime, i can think time i don't even know how to describe that <laughs> a game for your whole yes. life yes
1: just fucking with people like hardcore oh my god it's insane during their stay in the hospital, they began to believe that it was necessary for one of them to die. And after much discussion, Jennifer agreed to make the sacrifice of her life. In March 1993, the twins were transferred from Broadmoor to the more open Caswell Clinic in Bridgend, Wales. On arrival, Jennifer could not be roused. She was taken to the hospital, where she died soon after, of acute myocarditis, which is a sudden inflammation of the heart. But there were no evidence of drugs or poison in her
0: system. Did she kill herself with her mind? I don't know. It's almost like the twin bond was so strong that she just decided to die.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. It is super crazy. During the investigation, June revealed that Jennifer had been acting strangely for about a day before their release to the other hospital. Her speech had been slurring, and she said that she was dying. On the trip to Caswell, she had slept in June's lap with her eyes open. (laughs) On a visit a few days later, Marjorie Wallace recounted that June, quote, was in a strange mood. She said... Quote, I'm free at last, liberated, and at last Jennifer has given up her life for me. (sighs) Like, you were, like, waiting for it to happen. Waiting for your twin who you had this huge bond with. I don't understand any of this.
0: I need this to be a movie. I know. Or, like, I'm going to read that book. Yeah. I, this is so intriguing. What the hell? Yeah. (laughs) She also described it as a
1: tsunami, washing of her sins and being free of her sister. And then Jennifer was buried at St. Martin's Cemetery in Haverford, West Wales. After Jennifer's death, June gave interviews with Harper's Bazaar and The Guardian. <laughs> was she normal? Like, speaking English? and She was speaking normally. Now that she was free of her sister, because of the pact they made. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, By 2008, she was living quietly and independently near her parents in West Wales. She was no longer monitored by psychiatric services, has been accepted by her community, and sought to put the past behind her. A 2016 interview with her sister Greta revealed that the family had been deeply troubled by the girl's incarceration when they first gone to the mental health hospital.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She blamed Broadmoor for ruining their lives and for neglecting Jennifer's health. She had wanted to file a lawsuit against Broadmoor, but Aubrey and Gloria refused the parents, saying it would not bring Jennifer back. June had blamed this long sentence on their selective muteness, saying, quote, juvenile delinquents get two years in prison. We got 12 years of hell because we didn't speak. We lost hope, really. I wrote a letter to the Queen asking her to get us out, but we were trapped. And really, that is all I know about this case. The Pepsi-Cola Addict is the only accessible work by either of the Gibbons sisters, which actually remained unavailable for purchase and held in only five libraries in the world until October 2022, (gasps) when it was republished as a limited edition print by a publisher named Cashin's Gap. As a side note, it will also be published as a paperback in May 2023 by MIT Press. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god!
0: We should just read it yeah. For the podcast.
1: Yeah, there are other attempts to publish novels and stories were unsuccessful. Although Cashin's Gap is planning future releases by June and Jennifer Gibbons. Whoa! So they might come out with more of them. But yeah, I don't know if they would be like eBooks or audiobooks yet. But that was so interesting isn't that crazy (laughs) yes i saw that on my list and i had a link to the wikipedia page for this and i was like what was this i can't remember and then i read it and i was like oh i'm doing this one yeah this one's so nuts
0: what was that thing called that they had that twins do something phasia um cryptophasia i believe yeah yeah cryptophasia i need to look into that i I want to Hear
1: all about that. I know. I didn't know about that until this case. Oh my god, so crazy! I know that was nuts. I can't believe that they just were like, "Okay, one of us has to die, and then the other one can be normal for the rest of our lives." And then they just died. Why don't you just decide to be normal for the rest of your yes. life, instead
0: of what? It's. I mean, there's obviously some mental health issues going on with them. When you started this story, I thought it was going to be a story about. Uh, what's it called? Like foley do, mm-hmm. oh, what's where I don't know what that is. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up. Okay. Yeah, foley a do is defined as an identical or similar mental disorder affecting two or more individuals. Usually usually the members of a close family. And there's a lot of weird stories that relate to this condition. Like with twins, like it's a shared delusion or a shared oh like, oh my
1: god, mental
0: disorder. I, it sounds
1: like they had that going on. <laughs> your hair looks amazing, by the way. Oh,
0: thank you. It's like I haven't taken a shower or anything. Yeah, you I mean, know that's I'll have why them. I haven't threw it yeah. up.
1: <laughs> All right, we'll take a break and we'll be right back with your asses.
0: And we're back. We're back. So this story has been one on my list for a while, and I've been dying to tell it to Mallory, but I didn't know if it was long enough for a full episode, and I didn't want to do it a disservice with a mini-sode, but I ended up having... mental crisis in writing a seven page story. I was like oh mine's like not
1: even three pages long.
0: (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with me. Anyway this story I found this one on TikTok. It popped up on my feed about a couple years ago. It was right when we started our podcast and this story was going to trial. So tonight I'm going to be talking to you about the 2012 disappearance of Dylan Redwine. And I couldn't find a whole lot about Dylan, but he was 13 years old and he's absolutely adorable, but he could be described as your typical 13-year-old boy. You know, he just learned about curse words and (laughs) boobs and video games. He loved video (laughs) games. So like the reason I say that is because some of his texts with his friends were pretty, you know, 13-year-old boyish. Yeah. Yeah but he had a ton of friends he loved playing baseball and loved video games and
1: insulting your mother on call of duty
0: <laughs> just kidding yeah he was okay so i would define him just based on his text messages as the 13 year old boy you hear on vent while you play games or whatever they use these days oh like
1: yeah probably discord these days discord more yeah, yeah. Okay. Vent, that was a callback. You oh, just my said God. Vent.
0: That was the last time I played online video Holy games. Holy shit.
1: I completely <laughs> erased vent from my memory. That's
0: insane. Oh, my God. I'm showing my age.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Dylan was the youngest son of Mark and Elaine Redwine. He lived happily in Bayfield, Colorado with his parents and older brother, Corey. When the children were young... Mark Redwine took the role of a stay-at-home dad and was a very hands-on father. He eventually got a job as a long-haul trucker, and this caused him to be gone for long periods of time. As the marriage went on, things began to get rocky. Over time, Mark had developed quite the temper. He was gone the majority of the time trucking, but whenever he was around, he and Elaine would fight. And the children would often witness Mark get violent with their mother. In 2007, after 18 years of marriage, Mark and Elaine divorced. And with that came a messy custody battle. Elaine was granted custody of the kids and moved to Colorado Springs, which is about six hours away from Bayfield, which is where they were living before. She let Mark keep the house, so he just stayed there. But Dylan and Corey still visited their father from time to time. But after seeing how he treated their mother, the boys didn't have much of a relationship with him. In fact, Mark's sons learned something about their father on a visit in 2011 that made them want to cut contact entirely.
1: Oh, boy. We can cut this, but he looks like Peter Dinklage.
0: Oh, my God, he does. (laughs) He's full size. Full size. A full-size Peter Dinklage. Yeah. (laughs) So the boys, something happened on a trip the boys had with their father that made them want to cut contact entirely, but unfortunately for Dylan, that wasn't possible. Because he was young. Yeah. In 2012, Dylan and Corey's father demanded that the boys visit him in Bayfield for Thanksgiving, but Corey had just turned 18, and as a legal adult, he was not obligated to visit his father. Yeah. However, Dylan was only 13 years old, and the visit was court-ordered. He begged his mother to let him stay home with her. He avoided speaking to his father at all costs, and he wanted to spend the holiday with his mother and grandmother. His grandmother was recently diagnosed with an illness, and it was probably going to be her last Thanksgiving, so he really, really wanted to stay home. Plus, his mom and stepdad had just bought a new house, and it was going to be like their first Thanksgiving in this new house, But he was court-ordered to go see his dad on Thanksgiving. He wasn't excited about it. You know, his father's house was in Bayfield, which is basically the middle of nowhere, like in the mountains of Colorado. Oh, okay. And he wouldn't really have much to do. Elaine wanted to keep Dylan home with her, but she was told that if she didn't comply with scheduled visits, that she could be prosecuted for contempt of court. Oh, God. So, against her better judgment, she, you know, sent him off. So, Mark booked Dylan's flight to Durango and notified his mother via email. And as you can see, he is a total prick. And I have an email up here from Mark. He says, "'By now you should have received Dylan's flight itinerary. "'As you know, Dylan has failed to respond to all of my communication attempts, "'so I will have to rely on you to inform him of his travel.'" Also, since you have failed to address any support issues you may have, I expect all his needs are being addressed. So all the monies in his personal account are not needed. Oh, my God. The way he's talking to her, like... Yes. She's an employee or something? Exactly. That's exactly what it sounds Ew. like. Yes. Ugh. So you can kind of get a vibe of who this guy is. Yes. From this email. On November 18th, Elaine dropped Dylan off at the airport. She was worried, as it was his first time he'd be flying by himself, and there had been some flight cancellations and delays. But Dylan was great about keeping his mother updated via text. So I have some texts from <laughs> Dylan and his mom, and he says, I'm on the plane to Durango. <laughs> what? what? Is that his signature? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a B,
1: a capital B, a three, and a... um. Right parenthesis. Right parentheses, And it says, pimp face with a stash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's on every text he sends. It's really annoying. Oh, my God. So he sends a text to his mom. I'm on the plane to Durango. And she responds, oh, good. You did so well, son. Proud of you. I love you. And thanks for keeping in touch so well. You're a flying pro. Which is so mm,
1: sweet. It is super sweet. <laughs> It is on every test. <laughs> yes.
0: So a few hours later, Elaine texts Dylan, you land in Durango, son? He responds, just did. She says, oh, good. I was worried. You're very late, but glad you're safe. Make your dad wait, lol. <laughs> and he responds, yeah, after all of our waiting. Elaine texts Dylan again, your dad get you, son? And he says yes with a frowny face. Mm-hmm. She says, I miss you already, but try and have fun. So Dylan's father picked him up from the airport around 6 p.m. and the two stopped by a Walmart and McDonald's. Surveillance video from the airport and Walmart showed hardly any personal interaction between Mark and his son. That evening... Dylan had made plans to spend the night at a friend's house, but his dad refused. So Dylan made plans to meet up with his friend at his grandma's bright and early at 630 a.m. the next day.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) It's early. I know. Like
0: what 13 year old wakes up at 630? Yeah. So I have some texts pulled up here. Um, Dylan texts his friend. Can I come over early, like 630 early tomorrow? And his friend says, yeah. Dylan says, you better let me in. The friend says, I will. I'm going to be at my g Grandma's, for <laughs> anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> Dylan says, I'll call your ass all day if you don't. The friend says, okay. <laughs> Dylan says, will your grandma care or be up? The friend says, just come around to where the sliding door is, where that room is, and knock on it, and I will wake up. Call me when you get here, too. But then... Oh, At 6.46, 15 minutes after Dylan was supposed to be there, the friend texts, where are you?
1: Oh no, I'm getting scared.
0: The next morning, Mark says he got up around 7.30 and noticed that Dylan was still asleep on the couch. He tried to wake him, but his son said he wanted to sleep in, so Mark went about his day. He left and took care of some errands and arrived back home around 11.30 a.m. When he returned, Mark claimed Dylan was nowhere to be found. He noticed the front door was open, the TV was on, it was on Nickelodeon, and there was a bowl of cereal left out. Mark figured Dylan had left to go meet up with his friend since his backpack, cell phone, and fishing pole were gone. So what does Mark do? He decides to take a nap for a couple hours. Are you serious? Uh, no, sir.
1: 13-year-old son. Dude. They're
0: in the middle of nowhere. What does he think he's doing? So, yes, he decides to take a nap. And when he woke up around 30, Dylan still wasn't home. So, Mark well, tries to... His- I'm so mad right
1: now. Yeah. Your child is gone. Yeah. And you are in the middle of nowhere.
0: And he's, like, attached to his phone and he didn't, like, tell you or text you or... Yeah. So, did Mark know that he was going to his friend's house? Maybe he thought... I'm not sure, but... I assume so, since he said that he probably went to his friends. Yeah. yeah. Also, when he was trying to go spend the night with his friend, he didn't go because his dad said no. So that's oh, yeah. when they made plans for the next day. So I, I assume he knew that. So, well, anyway, keep going. Keep going. Okay. So he woke up around 1.30 and Dylan still wasn't home. So Mark tries to text him. Then he tries to call him, but there is no response. So around 3 p.m. he leaves and goes out and looks for Dylan. He drives to a couple of Dylan's friends' houses, and they haven't seen him. In fact, the friend he was supposed to go see said he hadn't been able to get a hold of him all day. Oh, my God. So at this point, Mark says he starts to panic. He goes to the police station, and while there, he texts his ex-wife Elaine, asking if she'd heard from Dylan. I have the text pulled up here. Okay. Elaine, I'm wondering if you have heard from Dylan. I've been trying to reach him all afternoon. Elaine responds, It's really worrying when I'm seven hours away and I get a message like this from you. I haven't heard from Dylan today. Where did you leave him or last see him? Can you imagine getting that text? I
1: cannot even.
0: That would be... I would be on a plane. Yeah. I mean, I'm leaving so much out of the story. This guy is so against his ex wife. Like, oh, it was really? bitter. Oh, like, okay. just getting him to the airport. Oh my God. It, if you guys really want to dig deep, you can. But, like, this guy is a jackass. So she was, like, really worried. Oh my and God. who knows? Maybe he's just playing a mind game and he's fine. Right. So. Mark says, I went to town for errands and he was fine. I am just concerned and thought you may have heard from him. Elaine says, was he at the Valesio house? I'm concerned as well. Please let me know when you find him. Mark says, yes, at the lake and I will. So I guess Valesio is the lake and they might have like a house out there. I don't know. So, Elaine says, it's weird that he would just up and leave. Does he have his phone? Mark says, I agree, which is why I'm asking if you have heard from him. You already made that clear, dumbass. Yeah. I assume he does, and why I have sent him texts and called. What I don't know is if he has a charger. Elaine says, I'm terribly freaked out that he's roaming around in the dark. I think we should call the police. And Mark says, I didn't want to freak you out, as I'm sure he's fine, but don't think I am not concerned. I just left the Bayfield Marshal's office and headed back to the house. And Elaine says, did you get into a fight with him or something? How long has he been missing? Mark says, no, we talked and everything is fine. Several hours. So he says it's several hours from then. And it is pretty late at this point, so... I'd say it's a little bit more than several hours. It's... Yeah, it's like almost 5 p.m. at that point. Anyway. Elaine responds, Well, it's not fine. He's missing. She says, Have you heard anything from Dylan? You said you called the marshal's office. They have no record of you calling them. Have you heard from him? And he says, No, and I'm extremely concerned at this point. I just left Tristan's house and he has not seen him waiting for the sheriff to call back. I'm doing all I can, and I will let you know the moment I hear from him. Elaine says, he wouldn't just leave, he would have called me. I am so suspect of you right now. How could he just disappear? And Mark says, it's just like you to blame me. Right now, the best thing for him is finding him. I just spoke with the deputy. His fishing pole is missing, and the deputy is on his way up. He asks that I search the property, which I will do now. I know this is difficult, but we got to believe he is okay. And Elaine says, when was the last time you talked to him? And Mark says, this morning. Elaine says, are you looking for him? What are you doing to find him? You seem so nonchalant that our kid is missing. You talked to him on his cell this morning or when you left the house. Did you talk to him at all today on his cell phone? And Mark says, I personally spoke with him this morning. The sheriff is here now. I'm doing all that I can.
1: So I am just kind of appalled at this point that there's this many text messages and that they didn't just fucking call each I other. I know. <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> maybe she did, and he just didn't answer. He is yeah. that much of a
1: prick. That's what I was thinking, too. It was maybe he just was like, I'm not talking to this bitch.
0: This is how little they communicate. He says... The police have advised me that you're on your way. There are canine units on the way and following up on a friend that I'm not familiar with. And then the last text she sends is, any news? What's this friend's name? So obviously, Elaine panicked immediately. Why was he asking her where Dylan was? Dylan was with him. She was six hours away in Colorado Springs. She immediately notified the police department and apparently they said that he had never actually called. (gasps) Oh, my God. She hopped in the car with Dylan's brother, Corey, and headed toward Bayfield. She made the six-hour trip. Holy shit. They arrived late that evening and immediately went to the police. They formed a search around Mark's property and searched until 3 a.m. Investigators and search party volunteers noticed that Mark didn't assist in the search and the lights in his house had gone out by 11 p.m., This was a red flag for police. Uh, Yeah. Most parents would be out searching at that hour and would never call it a night and turn out the lights. Nope. Especially when your child could potentially be lost in the woods trying to find their way home. Oh my God,
1: this (laughs) guy.
0: No one had received a call or text from Dylan, which was very strange because he was always on his phone. In fact, the last text received from Dylan was sent around 9.37 p.m. the day prior to his friend, confirming he'd be over at 6.30 a.m. the next day. At 6.46, his friend texted Dylan asking where he was and received no answer. He texted him again later in the morning and nothing. So this wasn't sounding good. No. The police were able to confirm that Mark was in fact running errands between 7.30 and 11.30. He went to the payroll's office, he went to his divorce attorney's office, and then he stopped at the post office to mail a child support check to Elaine. They asked what he and Dylan did the night prior, and he said they stopped by Walmart where they bought a movie that they planned to watch that night. They got dinner at McDonald's and went home and tossed around a Nerf football and roughhoused a little bit. Mark said he thought Dylan must have walked to his friend's house that morning while he was out running errands, but his friend lived almost six miles away. In the mountains. Oh my God. In November. In Colorado. Yeah. Elaine immediately knew her son wouldn't do this, but police thought it very well could be a case of a runaway. Maybe he just didn't want to be at his dad's house, so he left. Police always assume runaway first, though. Yeah. always he's 13 years old I Uh, know oh god he's a
1: baby I know if the police told me that my kid had run away I would be like no
0: (laughs) and you know your kid better than they do yes but they always assume
1: that first because they have to I guess what is the time period that you have to wait at least like 24 hours to
0: report them missing or something I have no idea it might vary state to state yeah But Elaine knew this was not what Dylan would do. He would have called her. He would have responded to calls and texts.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: A search and rescue team started to comb the woods immediately. The area where Mark lived was near the San Juan National Forest and the San Juan Mountains. The terrain was rugged and dense, and it was not easy to search. But the search teams did what they could, searching via drones, on ATVs. Canine units were brought to the area, They asked Mark for some personal items of Dylan's so the dogs could pick up on the scent. But Mark said he didn't have any. All of Dylan's belongings were gone. The officer said anything would do, even an item Dylan had touched, like a pillow or a pillowcase from the night before. That would work perfectly. So Mark found a pillowcase, and the dog couldn't pick up any scent. What? So this raised... (gasps) A lot of suspicion. So he hadn't been there in the, since the night before. Yeah. they didn't were not sleep in the bed. Yeah. Did Dylan even sleep there? Oh, my God. And Mark had said he had slept on the couch, but, like, the pillow that he brought them, yeah. there was no yeah. scent of him to be found. Oh, my God. Or a scent that they could track. I don't know. I don't know how they determined that. Elaine couldn't shake the feeling that Mark did something to Dylan. Which is yeah, I can't shake that feeling. (laughs) But it's crazy that, like, I mean, you have your thing with your ex-husband. He sucks. Like, he's really fucking, talks down to you. He's terrible. But, like, if you think he did something to your child, that's crazy. Yeah. But you couldn't shake the feeling. Well, it's just those little things that are just,
1: and, and especially as a mother, I'm sure, your alarm bells are going, I'm sure
0: she was, like, I don't. I mean, she had been with him for eighteen years. Yeah. So she must have known something about him that was right. bringing up these alarm bells for right. her. Um But she just said his story was weird. First, he said that Dylan left with a fishing pole, but Dylan didn't even know how to fish and couldn't even thread a line. Ugh. He also said that Dylan left Nickelodeon on the TV, and Elaine knew that Dylan was more into MTV these days. He didn't watch Nickelodeon anymore. Mm. He was like older. You know, yeah, he didn't. He's that was kid cool. stuff. Yeah. Obviously. Duh, mom. <laughs> Elaine commented that Mark didn't even know his own son well enough to make up a good lie. Yeah. Wow. Days after Dylan was reported missing, another one of Mark's ex-wives spoke to investigators. She shared some disturbing conversations she'd had with Mark in the past. And this ex-wife was prior to Elaine. Okay. And they had a child. They had some children together, too. So she had some dirt on him. Yeah. So this ex-wife had shared that in the past, Mark had said that if, if he ever had to get rid of a body, he would leave it out in the mountains. Oh, Christ. Red wine had also chillingly told her during their divorce and custody proceedings that he would kill the kids before he let her have them. Uh,
1: excuse me? That is just not normal. That is extremely disturbing. Unhinged, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Reminds me of something I probably shouldn't say on the podcast. (laughs) But I feel like I'm going to say it anyway. Go ahead. Um, So I think I've told you this before, but one of my cousins had said that if, that he would rather his wife die than his wife have an abortion because her life was at stake.
0: That is very troubling. Isn't that? Crazy. That's called indoctrination. I know. And holy
1: shit, dude. I, fe- I, I feel like it, he doesn't have a girlfriend right now, but I feel like I need to oh tell... Oh my God.
0: I was thinking that he that- had a
1: wife. No, he not I was about to say, run for no, the hills. I feel like I need to warn whoever he ends up
0: with. You should. You have to. I feel like it's my duty. <laughs> it is your duty. <laughs> yeah. Because... That's, that is really alarming. Yeah, it is. I can't imagine if Tudor would have said that. Dude. I would kill him.
1: I am not kidding you. <laughs> I would kill him. You would
0: kill Tudor I love.
1: Me? I love Tudor, but <laughs> if he said that and he, like, was serious about it and l- not, well, if he let you die, and I would fucking, I would go to jail. Like, oh my I,
0: God, I love I love hearing
1: this. This I, is making me feel so great. Oh my, it's making my eyes water. Oh like, my God, <laughs> don't cry. Don't cry. Oh God, don't fuck with Ashley. Oh
0: my God. <laughs> that is really alarming. And you know what? So many men in religious environments and communities probably feel the same way and it's just indoctrination.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sorry I didn't mean to derail there, but that is that just reminded
0: me of that. No, that's nuts. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) After the Thanksgiving break, dogs were able to pick up on Dylan's scent around Vallecito Lake. Divers and boats were sent out to search for Dylan and found nothing. Nine days had passed, and it was looking less and less like a runaway case. People continued searching, putting up missing person posters, starting Facebook groups. The news of the disappearance spread across social media and a $50,500 reward was offered for any information that could lead to Dylan, all of which Mark contributed nothing. Of course. Around this time, Elaine began to speak out about her suspicions about Mark, and he continued to say he had nothing to do with Dylan's disappearance. Both parents appeared on the news, Elaine airing her suspicions, and Mark saying he wants the focus to remain on Dylan and denying his involvement in his disappearance. Yeah, he's probably
1: still going to bed at 11 p.m. every night and not fucking worrying about Yeah, not about- worrying at all.
0: You'll see what he's up to soon enough. Oh, God. On November 29th, 2012, police execute a search of Mark's house, where they discover drops of blood in the living room.
1: <gasps> I'm really invested in this, by the way. Like oh, good. I'm, like, I don't know why. I I don't know why. But maybe you have a soft spot for 13-year-old gamer kids. Yeah. You know, he reminds me of Grayson yes. when he was like, a little boy. That's what I'm thinking about. like, Or my brother. Like, yeah, yeah, when they were at that age. Yes, yes. Oh, my God.
0: I can't believe we can say when they were that age. It's no, no. just so crazy. They're old as fuck now. So, they... Execute a search warrant of Mark's house and discover some drops of blood in the living room. Mark's girlfriend was interviewed and claimed that the blood was from when Dylan cut his finger a year prior while visiting.
1: Ugh. Could they tell if it was a year old blood? I wonder if they can. I'm not sure.
0: Police took a cut from Mark's rug where Dylan's blood was found and also took Mark's devices and his truck. They brought the family in for routine questioning. When they interviewed Mark, they assured him he wasn't a suspect. They just had to do their due diligence. But Mark didn't take it that way. He was defensive from the jump. The detectives ask Mark about the blood in the living room. They asked him if Dylan got hurt somehow. And Mark mentioned that Dylan had a really bad cold sore and it was bleeding. So the cops are like, great. We can corroborate that by talking with his mom. We can talk to the flight attendant. We can just, like, make sure that he had a cold sore. Like, they can confirm that. Right. And at that point, Mark backpedals. And he says, (laughs) well, actually, I think he actually got hit in the mouth while we were tossing the Nerf football. And it split his lip. You think? That's not something that you think happened. That's something you know happened. Okay, he said... He got hit in the mouth by this Nerf football and it split his lip. Mm -hmm. So super suspicious. Yeah. So both he and Elaine were asked to take a polygraph. Elaine passed and Mark failed. Oh, I'm surprised. Badly. Oh boy. But the police never followed up with any reason or any data to back up the polygraph or anything like that. So, I mean, polygraphs. Uh, I mean, if you fail, you're not arrested. No, it's not.
1: I mean, I don't know what the point is, really. (laughs) It's to trick people into
0: confessing. Honestly, I think that's pretty much what it is. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's like an intimidation tactic.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Just as the search was starting to look more like a recovery mission, things had to come to a stop. The ground was covered in snow and ice, making it impossible to search for the boy. The story was making headlines all over the country, and the entire community was adamant about finding Dylan, but Elaine needed to keep Dylan's story out there while the search was on pause. So on February 26th, 2013, the family goes on the Dr. Phil show. On the two-hour-long episode, Elaine and Corey talk about all the vigils, fundraising efforts, and search parties that they'd organized, and how Mark hadn't contributed to anything. Nothing at all. He hadn't even come. He didn't participate. He didn't didn't donate. Dude! He had no part of (sighs) anything. His son, Corey, tells Mark that he's dead to him. He doesn't love him anymore. He hates him. Because he didn't care at all about Dylan. Yeah. Like, he wasn't a part of any of it. He didn't care. And he was just, like, so furious that... And he also admitted that he thought Mark had something to do with it.
1: I mean, it's the most enormous red flag if you're not participating
0: in the search for your own child. Yeah. It's like, Scott Peterson. This reminds me so much of Scott Peterson. So... Things are very tense with Elaine and Mark on the show, and Elaine tearfully begs Mark for more answers. But Mark is defensive and claims he doesn't know what happened to Dylan. He's literally sitting here on the Dr. Phil show, like, "Elaine, you're of course you're blaming me." Like, oh my god, it's oh
1: my god, cringe
0: to watch. At this point, Dr. Phil makes a suggestion. <laughs> What's his suggestion? <laughs> He suggests that Mark take a lie detector test. Like, not at that moment, but the next day. And Mark agrees. So the next day, Mark shows up for a polygraph test, which would be performed by a professional and not in front of a studio audience. But Mark decides to change his mind. Uh. And Dr. Phil flips his shit. Oh, does he really? Yes. He is just going off like, why wouldn't you take a polygraph test? Like, all parents take polygraph tests when their kids are missing. You pulled us out here saying you would take it, and now you're not. Like, why wouldn't you do it? Like, just clear your name. Get it over with. Yeah. Well, he's already failed one. Yeah. <laughs> the polygraph examiner told Dr. Phil that Mark was the first parent of a missing child that had ever, Ever refused to take a polygraph in his experience. Wow. Once things warmed up, a massive search was conducted on a 12 mile stretch around Middle Mountain Campground, which was around the property of Mark Redwine. Then, on June 25th, 2013, they found something human remains, and they were able to confirm they were Dylan's. No! And they didn't find much. They found a leg bone, a clavicle, a toe bone, a shoe, a sock, and some other clothing items that he was wearing. Oh no. And the spot where they found all of this was eight miles from Mark's home in a densely forested area of Middle Mountain. I am so sad. (laughs) Dylan's cell phone and backpack were never found. The medical examiner was unable to determine whether the cause of death was a homicide or an animal attack. Oh, wow. That August, police obtained a warrant to search Mark Redwine's house again. They brought cadaver dogs that alerted in the home and in Mark's truck. Oh. They discovered traces of Dylan's blood in the living room, on the floor, on the couch, and on the corner of the coffee table. In August of 2015, police announced that Dylan Redwine was murdered and that his father, Mark, was a person of interest due to his inconsistent behavior. But Mark continued defending himself in the media and posting his theories of what happened to Dylan on Facebook. Dude, you're just going to be digging your grave at that point. And Mark had a lot of theories. One of his theories was that Dylan was kidnapped and his bones were placed near his home to frame him. Sure. Sounds like mental illness. The mayor. Yeah. Another theory was that Dylan ran away and was shot by hunters. Mark even went up. To that area and filmed a video of himself showing how things could have happened. And he posted it on his Facebook page. At this point, you're doing too much. You're doing a little too much. Now. Exactly. All of this playing out in public was brutal for Elaine, Corey, and everyone who cared about Dylan. Also, it was extremely weird that he kept pushing all these crazy theories. He's... He literally wouldn't go search for him, but he's gonna make a
1: go out and make a video yeah. of like, it, seriously, dude? About how it could have happened. Yeah.
0: Without his involvement. Also, I have pictures up here of the blood evidence found on the scene. And I looked through all the crime scene photos, and this man was a straight up disgusting slob. Really? He smoked in his house. Ugh. He had um, cigarettes put out on the tables, ash all over the place. Look, you can see on his couch, matches. lit Oh, is that matches. what that is? I was wondering what that yeah. was. Yeah, It was disgusting. This man is
1: gross. Yeah. If you smoke in your house, you're disgusting. I'm sorry. I'm saying it. Do you remember when there were smoking sections in restaurants? Cracker Barrel. <laughs> yes.
0: In every restaurant. In every
1: restaurant. Yeah, I do. I do remember that it was not that I mean it was like relatively speaking it's not that long ago 2005
0: yeah I remember for sure yeah So in November 2015, some hikers discovered a skull about a mile away from Dylan's remains were found. DNA tests confirmed that it was in fact Dylan's skull and a medical examiner declared that the cause of death appeared to be blunt force trauma to the head. Oh, man. Yeah, so he wasn't shot by a hunter. No. Mark. Nope. Elaine filed a wrongful death suit against Mark, claiming that his negligence led to their son's death. So what does Mark do? He files one on Elaine. What? What? Excuse me? She's like that kind of ex-husband. What an asshole. Both suits were eventually dropped, but it was starting to look like justice would never be served in this case. So I have a picture up for Mallory of the skull found, and there is a very large crack on the side of his skull. Huge. But what I haven't pictured here for you, there were several like tool marks on his skull that were in the shape oh. of a V. And that signifies that it was like a knife, not... A bear claw or an animal tooth or anything like that. There was like knife marks in his skull. Oh my God. But this crack was obviously a result of blunt force trauma. This crack would have been like right above his brow. So like, yeah, temporal. Mm -hmm. But then on July 22nd, 2017, two years later... Police determined they had enough evidence to arrest Mark Redwine for second-degree murder and child abuse, resulting in death.
1: What? Only second-degree? Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, he- I guess I'm glad they're charging him with something, but...
0: <sighs> yeah, there was no, like, evidence of a plan in place, yeah. like... First-degree murders where it's, like, premeditated. Like, you're planning this. You're going to kill this person. Second-degree could be a crime of passion. Anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So, he was arrested in Bellingham, Washington, while long-haul trucking and was extradited to La Plata County Jail in Colorado. And there's body cam footage of his arrest. And it's actually crazy because he had a trainee riding with him at the time. And apparently he had told this trainee about how his son was missing and how upset he was about it. But he didn't tell him that his son's remains had been found and that he was the person of interest. Uh. So when he was arrested and they told this trainee guy about it, like that he was being arrested for the murder of to his son. can you like, he was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh my God. I would
1: be shaking, I think. I would, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah.
0: So Mark pleaded not guilty to these charges and he would go to trial. But justice would not be swift. Mark's trial was rescheduled ten times. Ten? Ugh. <laughs> The first time it was rescheduled was due to Mark's attorney being arrested for domestic violence. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Should not be laughing about that, but what the fuck, dude? What the fuck? Then, by that time, COVID would hit and Mark's defense kept showing symptoms for COVID. So Ugh. it had to keep being postponed and postponed. Yeah. And they even went on with the trial, but someone got sick and there had to be a mistrial, which I'm really afraid oh might God. happen with the Murdochs, like with the I jurors. I
1: know. I'm
0: so afraid about that too. Uh. Did you hear
1: about the lady that had the blanket over her head? No. There's a juror that would, that just put a blanket over her head and sat there listening to the trial. Because she didn't want to wear a mask? I'm not sure what her motive was, but I heard it was actually the Pretty Lies and Alibis lady. Oh, I love Gigi. But she said it on, she's apparently like correspondent with law and crime. Yes,
0: she is making it.
1: Dude, that is so awesome. Shout
0: out to Pretty Lies and Alibis and Gigi. She is amazing. I've been listening to them since Chandler Halderson.
1: I just started listening to her this Trial. Yeah. And oh my God, she's awesome.
0: Um, but someone had a blanket. Over there. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yes. What kind of blanket? And the judge didn't say anything about it. Was I don't it know. Was it like a knit
0: blanket where she could see out of the holes I, or was she it? Didn't say, I don't know. Oh <laughs> That's so weird. It's so bizarre. Well, COVID made trials very difficult and a lot of things were postponed including this one, it took 10 times, which you can imagine for the family, sucked ass. Like they started going through the trial and someone got sick, like people got sick and it had to be a mistrial. Yeah. They had gone through so much. My God. But when they finally go to trial, it revealed a lot of damning information. Oh boy, I can't wait to hear it. The prosecution claimed that evidence proves that Dylan was murdered on Mark's living room floor by blunt force trauma and knife wounds. They claimed that Mark then decapitated Dylan and spread his remains in the mountainous region around his home. Oh, no. Blood was found all over the living room and dogs hit on the smell of decomp in Mark's car, on his clothes, and all over the living room. And Dylan's brother Corey's testimony would reveal a motive. <gasps> what? Corey told the court that a year prior to Dylan's death, in June of 2011, Mark had taken him and Dylan on a road trip. Okay. While Mark was sleeping, Dylan was on his father's computer when he discovered some very disturbing photos. <sighs> oh, shit. Shit. Oh you're shit. You're not even warning you're not even ready for. I'm us. not ready. I'm not ready. Oh shit.
1: Oh shit. Oh shit.
0: You're not ready. Oh my god. <laughs> Content warning. This is extremely disturbing and appalling. Oh god. So there's not anything violent or gory or anything like that, but if you're eating, just pause. Until you're finished and your food is digested. Oh, Christ. Because this is like vomit inducing. Are you okay? Are you ready? Yeah, okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. okay. I'm nervous. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> so, Dylan, while on this road trip with his dad and his dad's sleeping, he was on his computer and Dylan discovered some very disturbing photos. So, After he found these, he grabbed his older brother and took him into the bathroom and locked the door and showed him what he found. The photos were selfies of their father. Oh, God. He was wearing a brown curly wig, a red lacy bra, and a diaper fully loaded with shit. (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) Like it was loaded.
1: Oh, my
0: God, you. Oh, my.
1: This is rough. Oh, my God. This is really... Oh, my God. Uh, So, I can't get over this. It's Mark... Mark? Oh, in the first picture, he's wearing a bra, red lacy bra, and he's got a look of... What would you call that? Seduction. (laughs) Seduction or ecstasy on his face, but it's really disturbing and gross. And then the second picture is a diaper that's leaking crap out of it. (laughs) Ashley felt like she should show me the the diaper full of shit. And it's not just full, it's coming out of the diaper.
0: (laughs) That is full. Full, dude. Look how full that is. (laughs) It's bulbous. That is a bulging diaper. And he's wearing lipstick and he also has
1: something on his face. (laughs) Yeah, he's got makeup on or something. Which, whatever, do what you want to do. But what the fuck are you doing with a full diaper? I know, but like,
0: you can wear a bra and a necklace and lipstick and like take some selfies. It's fine. But like, it gets worse, Mallory. It gets worse than this? So much worse. There were also pictures of their father eating the poop out of oh, the diaper. Oh my god. Oh my god. And it's all over his face. And the diaper is oh my god. in
1: his mouth. I cannot look at this. <laughs> I cannot look at this picture. <laughs> Ashley has provided me with all the gory images. <gasps> Oh, my God, dude. Oh, my God. I can't believe you're doing this to me. You love it. Oh, is that... That's the diaper? Yes. Holy shit. I can't think about it too much or I'm going to gag. Tell us what you're looking at, Mallory. Um, I'm trying not to look, but it's a photo of him munching on the diaper. And then another photo of him licking the shit out of the diaper.
0: But this isn't like turds. This is like... Diarrhea. Soft stool. Yes. How do you do that? (laughs) This is... Intentionally.
1: (laughs) Soft serve,
0: (laughs) if you will. So in the first photo, the diaper is fully in his mouth. It looks like he's sucking it, maybe. It does. It also kind of looks like he has a really long mustache for some reason. And <laughs> <laughs> the second photo, he's like salivating over Dude. the shit. Are you going to post these photos on Instagram? No actually? way! <laughs> I I will not be posting these photos on our Instagram page. You will have to Google them. I will not be doing that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy shit, I was was, not prepared. Like, I listened to a podcast about this in the car just to, like, um, have the thing in my head, but I was taking my mom to the grocery store, (laughs) and she listened to it with me, and she... (laughs) She was like, what is wrong with people?
1: (laughs) Sorry, Kathy. (laughs)
0: Oh my god. Okay. Woo. Okay. Can we change this? <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> Jesus. The boys were obviously shocked and disgusted and totally freaked out and scared and like just completely Can you imagine your dad finding your father. Pictures of your father doing that. Eating. Can you imagine? Poop out of a diaper. Wearing a bra and a wig. Who cares about that? Like, okay, cool. But eating shit. Their own shit.
1: Reality would be turned upside down. Like, what Uh, the fuck?
0: So, I'll tell you how it affected them. um, Basically, they were completely freaked out. Like, scared. Yeah. Because it's, like, so disgusting. Corey took pictures of the pictures on the computer, which is what I showed you. And so they quickly put everything back the way it was. And that was the day Corey and Dylan lost all respect for their father. No shit, man. More than a year later, in early August 2012, Dylan and his father were on another road trip. While on this trip, Dylan repeatedly called and texted his brother Corey, asking him to quote, Send the poop pics of Papa.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: He wanted Corey to send him the pics so he could confront his father and show him that he knew who he really was. Dude, that's brave. But Corey did not want to fuel the fire, so he refused to send the pictures to Dylan. However, when Mark texted Corey an angry text, Corey decided to send the pictures to his dad saying... Hey, beautiful, you are what you eat. Look in the mirror.
1: (laughs) That's the ultimate burn, dude.
0: (laughs) And Mark freaked out and begged Corey to promise never to show the photos to Dylan that he had been through enough. And apparently Dylan wanted to show these to his dad because His dad was talking shit about Corey and his mom, saying they were a bad influence. And, um, yeah, so. (sighs) Wow. The prosecution thinks Dylan may have confronted Mark about the pictures when they arrived home, and he flew into a rage, killing Dylan. Corey testified about how severe his father's temper was. He said he was a mentally ill alcoholic, but that he knew exactly what he was doing. They argued that ever since, Mark had been lying to police and trying to divert attention away from him. Mark denies that the photos are him and claims that Elaine was responsible for the photos. Of course, he blames everything on his ex-wife. How would she be responsible for those photos, dude? You can't Photoshop sh- Dookie in that no. quality. Is she a graphic designer? I don't think no, she is, right? even if you are a graphic designer, you cannot you okay. cannot make that amount of Dookie detail yeah. possible. Yeah, And AI wasn't around back then, so. Oh, we should try AI, like make a man munching on a diaper <laughs> filled with <laughs> diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> Mark's defense attorney argued all of the evidence and claimed that Dylan ran away and was probably attacked by a wild animal. He claimed that Elaine orchestrated rumors and was adamant about framing Mark. The trial lasted for about five weeks, and after six and a half hours of deliberation, the jury found Mark Redwine guilty of second-degree murder and child abuse resulting in the death of a child. He also received a misdemeanor for tampering with a dead body, which Elaine could not believe. Can you believe tampering with a dead body is a misdemeanor? I had no idea. In Colorado it was at that time. That's crazy. But she fought to have the law changed. She, oh, wow. She was like, this needs to be a felony charge. Yeah, she could not believe that such a thing would not carry criminal charges. She eventually succeeded and this law actually affected the Chris Watts case. No way. Which <gasps> happened in Frederick, Colorado in 2018. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Because wow. he could have received a misdemeanor for tampering with the dead bodies, but yeah, now it's a felony. So, Mark Redwine was sentenced to the maximum amount 48 years in prison.
1: 48.
0: I mean, how old
1: is he, though? I mean, I guess he's... But appeals and shit and time served. He's already
0: filed an appeal. Yeah. And a lot of people do think he's innocent, but most think he's guilty. Yeah. So that's my story. That was
1: really good. I mean, poor Dylan. He found this incriminating... or. Whatever you want to call it. Incriminating. Embarrassing. More than embarrassing. I don't know. Disturbing. Uh, You know, collection of photos of his father. And his dad kills him over it. And he is the cutest little kid. He is so cute. (laughs) Oh, my God. That was good. I was invested the whole time. Great. That was very
0: good. I'm really glad that Mark got what he deserved. This disgusting piece of literal shit. Yeah. (laughs) It looks like a shit eater. It does look like a shit eater. My sources were the Durango Herald, the Gazette, the Journal, and court records. So, yeah, baby. That's it. Well... We have a treat for you guys if you've stuck around this long. Yeah, if you guys don't want to hear any personal things, if you're all for the, like, details and facts, just sign off now because (laughs) things are about to get weird. (laughs) (laughs) I'm scared a little bit. (laughs) Okay. I am too. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. Explain again what, what happened.
1: Yeah, what we're going to do is, so I had my boyfriend go on Facebook and look at our profiles like at least 10 plus years ago and just pick out posts that we made. And I had him, you know, write down who said each thing. And I'm going to read the statuses and then we're going to guess who said each one. Okay. (laughs) Oh my God. To be so embarrassing this is already so stupid and i know who <laughs> wrote this first one okay so the first one is when i was little i used to think jingle bells went quote bells on bobtail ring making spirit sprite quote end quote ha ha
0: that's you for sure <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what me. year was
1: that Oh, he didn't put the ears up. Oh, I man. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, that was correct. So the second one is, I like green eggs, but the ham is disgusting. I like my green eggs scrambled, please. Instead of ham, give me steak. I honestly have no clue who said this. <laughs> I think so was me. You think so? <laughs> Let's find out. It was Ashley. <laughs> what are you talking about there? Probably Ambien. Oh, right. I have no idea. Okay, this one's interesting. I don't know who the who this one is. I'm giving up on No Shave November. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna guess you. Just because I don't remember. I'm gonna you, guess but... me too. Okay, it is Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number four. I just wiped out in front of Chili's just now, and everyone inside started clapping for me. Oh my God. Ha 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 It's <laughs> 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 definitely you. Yeah. <laughs> it was me. I remember Your it. Your family
0: loves to go to this <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you wiped out? Do you remember that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just read the next one. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, I do remember it. Somebody stood up at the table and started clapping. It was like right in front of this big table that was in front of the front window. And it was icy. And I just wiped the fuck out. And they were like, yay.
0: That's a moment to be treasured. (laughs) Okay. Okay. What's happening? The next
1: few ones are so good. Okay. Okay. I had a dream my landlady just walked into our house so her mother could throw up. (laughs) I think that's you. I think it's you. (laughs) It was actually you
0: (laughs) I don't remember that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Number six is just -um. (laughs) daggum. That's
0: totally you.
1: Yeah, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> the, the next... <laughs> this is fire. I hope so much fun. I hope
0: people don't hate us.
1: I know. Number seven is I'm bored and ugly crying emoji.
0: <laughs> That's absolutely one hundred percent me.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna guess you as well because I don't know if I would have posted that. Yep, it was Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> this one is um, a toss up. So it says, I saw Bill Duty's young adult son at the grocery store just now. <laughs> I'm going to say, I think it was me. I think it was you. Because I almost remember seeing somebody that looked like Bill Duty. Yeah, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> well, explain who Bill Duty So Bill Duty, there was this blog. And it was Bill Doody's blog. Was <laughs> it real? I don't... I honestly don't think it was real. But I thought it was real for a very long time. Bill Doody was like this red-headed dude who would post pictures of him and his wife. kind of looked like Mark Redwine. Yeah, a little bit. But with red hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't even remember... He just would write about his life and his wife... But it would always be something ridiculous. Yeah, it would just be like something so dumb. And... I don't know why, but we became obsessed with Bill Duty. <laughs> okay. The next one. The next one is Larry David is like an old Jewish male version of myself. Me. I think that's you. That's Ashley. Yep. Yep. Um <laughs> number 10 is lol, have fun with married life. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's me. Really? It was (laughs) Ashley. It was you.
0: (laughs) I was like, at a certain age, I was just like, all these people getting married are such losers. I remember feeling that way too. I know who
1: this one is. It says, "Hot dog, so good." (laughs) That's definitely you. (laughs) It was me. (laughs) Hot dog, so good. Wow! Wow! Hot dog, so good. Number 12 is, wow, Home Alone 3 is an absolute joke. I'm going to say that one's you. Yeah, I think that's me. It's Ashley. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Number 13, I gave birth to a five-pound
0: turd named Chutlin. (laughs) I'm going to say, that's me, but you wrote it.
1: (laughs) yeah. It says Mallory, but I am pretty sure that was when we used to get control of each other's. Yes, on Facebook.
0: Oh, and oh well you so that was your status?
1: <laughs> that was your status. That was my status. Oh, so I, I wrote it. I think you probably wrote that one. Okay. I'm
0: trying to prank me. Mm. I, I got in trouble with so many friends for doing that. Oh, I got in huge,
1: huge trouble one time. Remember with Daniel?
0: Yeah. Well, I also got in trouble. Well, you got in trouble because they thought it was you, and but then I and I, I am influenced you to do it. <laughs> I influenced you to do it.
1: I don't remember.
0: All I know is I thought I was being really hilarious, and I was not being hilarious. I I've- also did it to my mom and. She is a realtor and had lots of clients. And I was, <laughs> I posted something like, "I remember vaguely. Oh, I'm gassy and sassy. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! She was like, "I have clients on my Facebook page." My I was like, "Well, you're gassy and
1: sassy." Yeah. That was amazing. Okay, number fourteen is. Facebook should be unavailable for pregnant women. That is all. Oh, that's
0: totally me.
1: I am going to say you as well. Yep, it's actually.
0: <laughs> <sighs> I just hated to hear about all know. of that at the, at a certain point in my life.
1: Yeah, know? yeah. And I, I did too. It was like, that's was, when we.
0: It was schworn. like. A, what? <laughs> when we visited oh, Shlorn. Yes. <laughs> there was like a point in. Our lives where there was so much pregnancy happening and it was just really annoying. Yep. And we made up this thing like, I'm just sitting here with my husband, drinking my schmlar wine, (laughs) living my best life. Because we didn't know about wine. So we just made up a word for it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God.
1: All right. There's only one more. Okay. I'm so excited. It's cringy. Oh, my God. Um, it's all in caps, by the way. The whole thing. So, it's probably mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a cock, my glock,
0: and pop till they all drop. That's me. Oh, my God. I hate myself. Yeah, it's you. <laughs> I hate myself so much. I hate myself. Oh my God. Kill myself now.
1: <laughs> I hate that we ended on that one because... <laughs> I think, I feel like that's like an <laughs> effie song or something. It is. Uffie. An Uffie. Uffie. It is. Pop the Glock is an effie song. I don't know. I sent it. To you, not that long ago, I was like, "Do you remember this song?" Yes, Ugh, <laughs> terrible. it's terrible. The worst. It's literally the worst quality
0: music you could ever hear. I remember it was bad then, but I was like, "This is cool." So yeah, I for like some it.
1: reason, it was cool because she was like on the label with all these other cool. Yeah, like-
0: I was like, "Oh, so this is what's happening now?" Right. I'm cool, listening to this, but I know it's really bad. Yeah. Anyway, guys, this was our mini episode, which is probably not mini at all. It's an hour and 47 right now. Wow. Pre-edit. Anyway, yeah.
1: So as always, you guys can find us on the internet. We're on Instagram at Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. Um, We have a Facebook group, Rabbit Hole Happy Hour, that you can join and discuss things that you
0: would like to discuss. Um, Yes. We would also love, we would actually love if you would leave us a five-star review in a very kind, kind commentary on Apple Podcasts (laughs) and Spotify. Yeah. It just, like, rejuvenates my body.
1: It really does, especially when we get, like...
0: We criticism. We have we've had
1: several one-star reviews. Um, if you have any c- criticism to share with us, which we are open to, yes, we want to totally learn, open. and because
0: we're literally doing this from nothing, like yeah. if you're a lawyer, get... anything related to technicalities, we would love to learn. You know what my mom told me the other day? What did she tell you the other she day? She told me that I should be should go back to school for a law student. Oh, <laughs> let me go. Back. I'm going to go back to school for law students. <laughs> I was like, uh I could never deal with people like that. I mean, I, I enjoy that, but I could never deal with the people side of it. No. She's like, yeah, you can. I was like, no, I can't. Especially if you're a criminal defense lawyer. How could you even? <laughs> I just could not deal with people's issues like that in person. Yeah. Um, I already cry at work for
1: no reason. <laughs> yeah. That would be way, way, way super off the chart stressful.
0: You know what? You know, I'm, I'm just going to save this for next episode because Alec Murdoch trial, I have yeah. things to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's going to be, I think, a long episode next time. So let's let... <laughs> Mallory's boyfriend come back downstairs and <laughs> Houston get some food and wrap it up wrap it up baby we're
1: done we'll see uh actually we'll see you next week instead of two weeks from now I'm really excited I'm so excited uh, I've been wanting oh. to talk I know me too I've been restraining myself because I know you know a lot about it and
0: holy shit I've been talking about it to everyone i know and they're probably like shut the fuck up well next week we can finally
1: talk to each other about it okay great all right it's a date we'll see you guys next week have a good one and we'll talk to you later bye-bye bye